Let's turn our Bibles, first of all, to um, Genesis, the book of Genesis. And what I'd like to do is kind of just jump around um, and look at some, the book of Genesis. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, it's actually the first book of the Bible. And it's a great book because it's the book of beginnings and Genesis chapter three. And I just want to look at, I want to do three, I want to do three things. I want to just talk about what is shame. I just want to, I know what, I think we know what it is, but I just want to, I want to talk about it. Number two, I want to just talk about um, uh, what are the, what are the um, cycles of shame and how we get into them and how we get out. And then the third thing I want to talk about, the connection of the body of Christ, which is truly the real answer. So those three, three, those three things, the, what is shame, what are the cycles of shame and how we are delivered through the body of Christ and the compassion of Christ. Okay, so Ready? So I'll probably just speak maybe 30 minutes. And uh, so if you need to get up, go ahead and use the bathroom, grab something to drink if you need, uh, feel free. So Genesis chapter 3, um, and I want to read verse, uh, from verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And it says this. Um, and I'm reading from the, the old King James. I pulled out one of my Bibles from Bible school. And this thing has been all over the world, and I just we started unpacking stuff we haven't seen for like four years. And I, I found this Bible that's been rebound twice, and it was given to me in, in 1986 when I, uh, when I went to Bible school. It's all written up, and so it's the old King James. It's uh, King Jimmy. So Genesis chapter 3, and let's look at verse, uh, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... Um, and, it, and it was a delight to the eyes. Now, notice that. Good for food. Hey, this is good. You know, it's good. It's noble. Yeah, this is good for food, and it's pleasant to the eyes. And was, and was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. They made themselves loincloths. This is the first act of, of brokenness, of awareness of nakedness, and then uh, their attempt to um, address the issue of shame. Hey, guys, come on in. And um, so we see here three things happening. We see, uh, we see that Eve, Eve and Adam are brought into this thought that they need to be Satisfied that God's not satisfying them. Secondly, uh, they eat the fruit. Their eyes are opened, and then their eyes are open, and then they realize they're naked, and that's shame. That's shame. This is just the opposite of what God's plan was in Genesis chapter six. And we read here later in verse eight, and then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There's so much psychology here. I like a little psychology, but you notice that when their eyes are opening, so their ears are open. Now they hear God walking. You know, and it's like, uh oh, here comes God, you know, and they hear God walking among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Love this. This is the first mention of the gospel in the, in the Bible. Where are you? What are the first words that God says to his creation that he makes that he's that he's made? Where are you? He's seeking. I love that. God's not out there. You know, what did you do? He says, where are you? Where are you? And if somebody could make me a coffee, that'd be great. Sorry. <laughs> Where are you? Where are Where's you? My Where's my coffee? Where are you? So it's kind of informal this morning. Sorry. 
God just says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And I love that. Whenever we get lost in our stuff, in our brains, and we all do every day, the Holy Spirit reaches out. And this is a savior mentality. And we're going to look at this in a minute of God. Where are you? I love that. Don't you love that? We wake up, we're in our, we're in our funk, we're in our stuff, and we're like feeling guilty. We don't know why, feel, why we feel guilty. Or we're blue at the day before or, you know. And we wake up, we feel, alienated, we feel alienated from the life of God in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, chapter 3. And God's saying, where are you? I miss, I miss our fellowship. Where are you? And he says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, verse 11, let's look at this together. Do you got a Bible? Can we read it together? Let's read it. I, whatever version you got, we can just one, two, three. We can read it together. Who told you you were naked? Who told you? Who told you? You know? You ever have a kid and he comes home from school and he's like, he's got this thing that is in his head and you don't know where he got it. And he's like, Caleb, who told you that? This, is how, this hasn't happened with Caleb yet. But like, where did you get that idea? Who told you? Who yeah. told you? And God here is probing the shame. And so what is shame? Shame is... I think shame, and you know something, the Bible is so great because the Bible deals with things that no other religion is going to deal with, right? If I was to write a book on religion, about religion, I would not talk about my creation failing within the first chapter. The first two chapters, I'd be talking about how great my creation is. But God is not worried about his reputation and what he's got to maintain. God is God, and he, it's amazing, like, this world is so out of control, and God, like, we don't see God kind of, we don't see the finger of God coming into the, through the sky and squashing somebody and say, okay, you're out of turn. God is just amazing in his patience and in his sovereign plan is so we can trust it so much. And so we read here um, that Adam and Eve now are start struggling with shame. And, and so um, temptation, and this is a point, if you're taking notes, just remember this. Temptation is what I experience when I begin to believe that God is not good enough for me this moment. That's what, that's what temptation is. That's the strength of temptation. If I was to believe that God's not going to, if God's not going to meet my needs, you know, I'm getting married, I'm, God's not going to meet my needs, or I'm starting this business and God's not going to meet, not, not, meet, is not going to meet my needs, and this is not happening in my life, or, um, you know, I'm not good enough in this relationship, and temptation comes in, and, and we're tempted to pull out the fig leaves. Fig leaves are funny because... They wither up after four or five days. Then they fall off. And then, well, back to the cycle, back to the covering, back to the shame cave. And what is a shame cave? Well, there's the sin closet we go to to do our thing because we just think that God's not good enough. Like maybe the sin closet is like, okay, I have to go out and just throw my weight around in my workplace because nothing's going to get done unless I do do it this way. uh, And now I'm angry. Or maybe the sin closet is like, okay, uh, I have to go to the bar and just get stimulated because I feel so understimulated in my life. I, just, I don't feel excitement, and I'm not living a life of faith, walking by faith, and so i got to live in just stimulation. Or maybe, maybe, the sin, maybe the sin closet is like whatever, whatever it is. We don't even need to focus on that. Cause, but it's that thing that people do when we are in some way, and get this, we are in some way persuaded that God's not good enough. Like God's not good. <laughs> we doubt the grace of God, and this is what happened to Eve. This is the gospel of Satan, and this is the thing that he's been, he's been selling humanity since day one. God does not have your interests in mind. He's busy in heaven 
listening to the praises of the angels and trying to orchestrate the world in a sovereign plan. No, God is mindful of what we need. Yeah. And he was just asking them to just be front with it, like, hey, I, I did these things, instead of, like you're saying, living in that shame. Yeah, so we put these leaves on and we cover ourselves. Why? Because, and it's not necessarily the nakedness, but we lose, we lose sight of our, the, the glory of who we are. And I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, so shame really is this is the intent and you know if shame is something you can actually physically feel it's a feeling or experiencing of 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 someone believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love okay i'm worthy of love i'm not worthy of love and i'm not worthy of you people i'm not worthy to be around these people you know like you ever think that way i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna go to house church i'm not gonna go to magnolia tonight because i am just not worthy and you know how many times i thought that as a pastor I'm not worthy to pastor these people, and I'm not. And it's great. I just make that clear every morning with God. God, I'm not worthy to do this. Thank you for calling me by your grace. Now we're, now we're set, and I can move forward in the grace of God, right? There's, and thank God we're not worthy of it. Thank God it's clear to us. And it's great for us to come face-to-face with our nakedness. And that's a good thing in one sense. And not to dwell there, but to, thanks, but to look at, um, uh, to look at, to, to look at Christ and what, what, what I want to talk about here in a minute. So shame is this is and what's the process of shame here's a little psychology i don't know you guys like psychology i'm from the northeast we're all about psychology up there and intellectualism and texas is all about about doing and relationship the northeast is all about theory ideology stoic being stoic and philosophy and that's what here it's but i like i like going through um how god is thinking and how god has wired us and so there's a process so the process of shame goes like this. Number one, there's a trauma. And whatever that, and I don't want to put morbid, I don't want us to morbidly live in introspection about our traumas in the past because every one of us has, has brokenness that is in this room. No one is different than anybody else. You don't think that I'm, nobody has the pain level that I do because that's not true. That there, everyone in this room and in this world, if you're a human being, then there are scars that, that have happened at birth. And it's an experience that happens to us that leaves us in a place where we feel naked and we feel we're like we're standing in the rain. And I don't know what that is in your life. And guess what? A lot of us have covered it up because it's so painful and we don't even know what it is. And we don't even remember the experience because we have covered it up. And we have, because we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with sin. We don't know how to deal with mistakes. We don't know how to deal with fallen people. And so we literally forget stuff. We forget things. And I was, we were counseling um, a guy who was church planning a while back, and he says, there's a lot of my childhood I can't remember. And he, and he says, that really bothers me. And we were talking with a guy, a counselor, who was really gifted in counseling back home, and he said, he said um, you know, have, have you experienced much trauma in your life? And he goes, yeah, I have a lot of trauma in my childhood. And he says, I can't remember, there's a lot I can't remember because of the trauma. And so... Uh, he began the he got on the road of just recovery through the finished work, and so shame is starts with a trauma. It could be something simple or it could be something major that we don 't even remember, and that wounding happens it 's Proverbs chapter eighteen, I believe it says that the words of a talebearer go deep, and this is the king james i 'm quoting they go deep and they wound the soul, and that wound a soul wound doesn't it doesn 't recover that just is there like 
you know, my dog, it's funny, my dog is not a critical thinker unless it comes to food. And my dog experiences things, but she still, last night she was freaking out because of the fireworks, right? And she has not learned yet. The fireworks are not coming in the house. We're, she's safe. We're not, she's not going to get burned alive or anything like that. And, but like dogs, they get wounded about something and they just never acquire, never recover that, you know, we as animal, like we as creatures, you know, without the spirit of God, we can be wounded about things and live in that animal state of being wounded. And what happens? The trauma happens. The second step of the process is that we assign a meaning to it. Okay. We assign meaning. What does that mean? Well, it means this, that there's two ways we can assign meaning. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. I'm living that awareness. There's something wrong with me. And everyone else can say that in this room. There's something wrong with me, you know, and, and we can actually laugh about it. And then there is something wrong with me, and there is. And, so, and the other thing is, is I'm unworthy of love, and I don't belong here. And that is such a lie. That is such a lie. Don't ever listen to that. The devil is a liar, and he is a, he's a father of lies, meaning that he... He, he will impregnate and give birth to baby lies all over the place. And, we, and he'll try to populate our world with just lies that just are not true. And so what he tries to do is he tries to sell us on a lie. Maybe an ethnic lie, maybe a gender lie, maybe a uh, financial law, lie, or whatever these things are. And so we assign meaning to this pain. So, you know, we feel pain or we feel this trauma and we... Either whether we realize it or not, um, I remember when I was in college, and I to this day I don't know why, and maybe it was just something that God washed away and healed me from years ago. But every Friday night I'd be so lonely. I don't know why. I'd just be totally lonely. I'd just be like, and I was not a guy that go out went out and partied. I wasn't a dater. I wasn't just. I don't. I was just super super lonely. I'm just sitting in my house. And I'm just that deep, deep bitter pain of like the heavy weight of just loneliness and depression. It was Friday night, Sunday, Saturday morning, I'd wake up and it'd be gone. And I don't know what it was. We assign meaning things that we can't even, we can't, and don't, don't worry. Like if you don't understand yourself, that's biblical. Because Jeremiah 17 verse 11 says that our heart is so broken and it's so wrecked that we don't even understand the depths of what it can do. And so don't worry if you don't understand yourself. Um, um, Skinner and Freud and all of these guys did a great job in telling us what the problem was, but there was no answers, zero answers, no solutions. And so, so we assign meaning and we feel like there's something wrong with me and, um, and we don't know how to address it. And so the rest of our life, we just kind of jump into, we jump into the third process. So the first thing is we're wounded. The second thing is we assign meaning to it, whether I'm not worthy or, or something's wrong with me, and both result in isolation or, or reaction. And so then we enter into the third step, which is we just get into these automated decisions or vows that we're going to defend ourselves. So, like, I'm never going to be in that place again. I'm never going to allow that happen to me again. I'm never going to be in a place where I don't have any money. I'm never going to be in a place where I can't get out, or I'm never going to be in a place where... I look different than everybody else. I, you know, I grew up, my family grew up, we grew up on welfare. And, you know, my family has two sides. We, there was a lot of affluence in my family, and then there was a lot of welfare. And so in high school, we were in that welfare stage. And so I was the guy in school that never had really any new clothes, and I had the goofy-looking clothes. And, and like, you know, all, I was the oldest, so all my brothers and my sister, not my sister, but they had all the hand-me-downs. 
And so like all that, you know, and, and I was just, I'm never going to be that guy ever again, you know, and that's just something that's, you know, the devil wanted to, wants to put into like our soul that we would never be different ever again, that we'd be so, such a conformist, okay? And so we have these automated vows of defense. And so there's three ways that we deal with this, okay? You've heard the fight or flight, right? But there's a third thing. So like, so like when we live in fear and rejection and when we fear, when we live in this sense of insecurity and our world is falling and caving in like with COVID um, and we start living in panic, there's actually a part of our brain, and some of you may know this, there's a part of our brain called the little brain and it doesn't think logically. It doesn't think, it can't think logically. It, it just can only react. And it's all about self-preservation. And what it does is either it will, it will comply so that it doesn't stick out and doesn't get hurt again. It will totally comply. Or if you're not a compliant person, it will totally rebel and will lash out and it will move away and, from, and, and, and separate from conflict. And you just kind of isolate, you know, I don't want to get into conflict. I don't want to. So I'm just going to politely step back and excuse myself. And that's another part of what we do. And then there's a third thing, which is which I haven't heard really about until recently. If we begin to move again. So it's moved toward compliance. We move away. We distance ourselves. Or we move against, we just start bullying everybody until everybody thinks the way we do, you know? And we just start giving everybody a hard time. And I'm sorry if this is heavy. I don't want to make it heavy. That's, it, it's, I just want to, I want to talk about, like, how God, how God heals us from all of this. And so, you know what's really wild about this? These three ways of us dealing with things outside of the mind of God and not knowing the love of Christ and not knowing who we are in Christ, what does this do? Every time we do this cycle, the... The leaf falls off, it dies, it withers it up. We're again aware of our shame. Oh no, everybody sees me. They see me for what I am. I have to go and put on a new, sh- I have to put on a new fig leaf. I got to, you know, buy new clothes. I got to get a new car. I got to move to another neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. What does this do? Or I have to have a new vocabulary or I have to be more of a tough guy or I have to be more of this or that. We begin to develop what is called a false self. We begin to build these bricks we live in self-defense and we start, you know, you know, these wounds can be, can be just, and you know, someone may say, well, I was abused as a child. Guess what? We were all abused, maybe at different levels, but we were all messed up as a kid. This world was out to destroy us. And so what happens is that just creates a false self. And we begin to project that on people. We meet people the first time and that's what we want people to see us, you know, like, and that's, that's social media, right? That's the Facebook world. That is the, in some cases, not always, but like, you know, Jeff Wood, it's like, it's, it's, his, it's him. He's like, Jeff Wood is out there. That's not the false self. That's Jeff Wood. <laughs> you know, we joke with Jeff because every day there's like, I have my daily devotional and then I have my daily picture of Jeff. <laughs> I'm just joking. But um, so it's like we have this false self and we project it on people. We want to project to people that I'm, I'm successful, I'm this, I'm that. And inside the problem is still not dealt with. And you know what Jesus liked to do? Jesus liked, he loved us so much. He loved that little person that was inside, that was broken, that was never healed. And when you see Jesus talking to people, how Jesus, he never answers people's questions, really. He always kind of has this cool answer, like, you know, kind of doesn't even address the question that they ask. And Jesus is talking to the person inside that really needs to know that Jesus died for them, that Jesus sees, that Jesus cares, and that Jesus does not reject, and that there's no shame. 
and that there's no shame. Unfortunately, the world of Christianity and religion as a whole has become a place of shame and covering without any healing. And, and what, we, what we read in the New Testament is a place where you see broken people, like the woman that was from the city coming washing Jesus' feet. She had no shame. She knew that everybody knew who she was. She knew that she was in the midst of these holy rollers, the, Phil- the, the I almost said the Philistines, the Pharisees. And she knew that who she was, but she was so engulfed with Christ. She was in, so engulfed with the thankfulness. Uh, and she, she felt that, that she could, and you know, the hair of a woman reflects her glory. And she was just giving the best that she had to Christ. And that was such a beautiful picture of submission and love to Christ. And because Jesus knew and loved her and did not reject her. So what is, how do we get out of that? And guys, I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been a believer for, I don't know, since I was a kid. I, you know, I received Christ when I was nine. I just became a disciple when I was a teenager. But I'm still learning this, guys. And this is going to be a lifelong thing. So don't worry if you're, if you're not there yet. We're in this together. But what is really, what is, and, and there's, there's, there's three things that I think that if we look at, and if we could just understand when that moment comes and we want to do that, whatever that is, get pull out, go to the, go to the closet. And then after the closet, we go to our shame cave and we just kind of hide out there because we're ashamed. In that moment of whatever it is, we want to lash out, we want to comply, or we want to, um, or we just want to separate, separate. When we feel that tension of anxiety and that panic coming on first thing to do is just identify just you're not panicking right now just identify it and then the second thing is in the same breath practice the presence of present practice the presence of christ and what that means is this is that i read something recently that the 13 times if i've counted it correctly the 13 times that peter fails in the new testament or in the gospels is in the presence of jesus christ jesus is there and it's really amazing because that just tells us that like when we when we fall down on flat on our face we think that God's far away that he's that we feel like that you know we feel like okay he's going down that road again um God's thinking okay I'm going to go over here just do some stuff he'll be back after he repents and that God's separated and that he's isolated and that we're doing our thing in darkness but you know something in Psalm 139 as a chapter that is just saturated with the love and the grace of Christ and the grace of God. And, 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 and David is saying that I, though I make my bed in hell, have you made your bed in hell? I have, I have lived in hell. I have been there. And I remember thinking of that verse when, when, uh, when I made my bed there and you know something, I remember when I was in that, in that moment, in those moments, Knowing that Jesus is in my midst, He's our He's our welcome. He's our He's our interesting. He's our greeter, right? <laughs> Caleb, a little late, man. Yeah. So, you know, though we make our bed in hell, He's there with us, right? And is there condemnation in the presence of Christ? No. Who is the only people that Jesus got mad at? Right? Did Jesus ever yell at the disciples? He challenged them, said, hey, why didn't you trust me? Jesus never yelled at, at, um, at his disciples. And so that's the first thing I just want us to look at is that Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Yeah. We turn on the TV or we hear the roar of the crowd. We were in, sound, we were in 
San Antonio and we were just parking the truck or doing something. And there was just this big, there was this big march that went by and the yelling and the screaming and just the reaction and the police. And, and I thought of that verse. I thought of that verse again, Matthew 9, that he looked at the multitudes and he had compassion. And you know something, we look at people and we're just people, we, we're angry. We just, we kick people to the curb, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> to use your words today. We, we reject people. We, we judge them. We judge. I, it's so easy for me to pass judgment and not even think, like, not even know I'm doing it. You ever do that? Like, and you're like, you're like a couple hours down the road and just like, oh my gosh, I just had a massive judging session on that person. God forgive me. I, you know, because the Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us. It, the, the Holy Spirit has to, like, remember when, when, um, when David cut the garment of Saul when he was in the cave and then later on, like it says that David's heart smote, in the, in the King James, I like how it says he smote him. Yeah. You know? yes. And he's and like, oh my God, you know. And that happens to me. Sometimes I'll be, you know, a week or a day or like a few months later and, and I'll just, something will come back to my mind and I'll be like, oh God, that's right, I'm sorry. And then I'll have to call that person or, you know, whatever. And um, I don't always have to call them, but um, compassion of Christ Christ, and, and this is what is so important. This, this will break the power of temptation, okay? This will break the power of temptation to know at that moment that Christ has compassion on your brokenness. Right there. Just, if we could park there and just say, you know what, right now, like, you know, I talked with a, I talked with a guy. He's a multimillionaire. He lives in the woodlands. And he sat down and he told me, and you look at the guy, you wouldn't even think, but he says, I have so many times in my mind plotted and executed a murder strategy of some of the people that have like, have like done me wrong. And, and like, you know, and I was talking to this guy, he's like, I said, I do not even know that. I mean, you don't even look like that kind of a person. He goes, I don't think I'd do it. But, but like, you know, you'd be surprised how far down the road we get lost in our mind. And then the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I have compassion on you. Christ had compassion on you in that moment. Because the devil's telling you, look at what you're thinking, look at what you want to do, look what you said. Or, and he wants to separate us from the life of Christ by condemnation. He wants to condemn us. Right? Am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Like, like when temptation comes, we're like, oh no, I'm tempted, you know? And maybe tempted of something you haven't been tempted with for 14 years. And whatever that is, I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. But like, the compassion, if at that moment we can practice the presence of Christ and say, Christ is with me, not with the sound of the footsteps, because notice that Adam is occupied with footsteps and not the face of God at the moment. He's hearing the footsteps. He's only hearing feet. He's hearing stomping. And he's not, he's not thinking about the panim, the face-to-face with Christ, you know? Second thing is, so when we understand that he has compassion on us, that really, that breaks us, doesn't it? Like, and, and it may take us a while to get there, but we say like, we say like, um, like, like, like Paul said in Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am. Have you ever done that? Like, oh God, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, help me. And, you, and it's not self-condemnation, but it's just this pity, like this brokenness, like, uh, God, like, have mercy on me. And that's what David was saying in Psalm 25. And somebody said this this week, was it Andy or someone said it this week about like David just crying out. And, and I think Colton and I were talking about it. Like he said, and then somebody, I think Lizzie was saying this at Wednesday, like how God remembers our frame is dust. He just remembers that, you know, God, I'm dust. 
I'm broken. I'm a creature. You know, I'm going to die one day. I'm hungry sometimes. And, I'm, and so Christ has compassion on that. Somebody may say, well, you can't talk like that because people are going to go live in sin. And, but if you get to know the true compassion of Christ, if you can get to know that he looks at you, not at your sin, but he's looking at the, the wound. He's looking at the broken kid. He's looking at the messed, the messed up whatever inside of you. And he sees that and he sees your need. If we can understand that, then the power of the temptation and the desire to run off and get to sow, get to sow the fig leaves or whatever we do, whatever that dance is that we do, if we can understand he has compassion for us at that moment, then we're not hiding out in the shame cave. Because you know what? Jesus is in our shame cave with us. He's in our sin closet. He's like, he's everywhere, you know? And he's there. He's not, we can't run away from him. And then the second thing, the second thing is, first of all, understand compassion. And here's another great verse in Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. We need to spend more time thinking about the compassion of Christ. Yeah, the commandments, yes, Lord, your will be done. Amen. But like, can we just meditate on the compassion? Christ looked at people. Jesus looks at you differently than you look or your family looks at you. Do you get that? Yeah. He looks at that. He doesn't see your record. He doesn't see your failures. He's not seeing you as mom and dad see you. He doesn't see you as your brother sees you. He sees you as a precious child. And that's his compassion. I love, I love Matthew 20 verse 34. It says, Jesus was moved with compassion and he touched their eyes. You know, miracles always happen after we understand compassion. Miracles follow compassion. And miracles can't happen without us understanding a measure of his compassion. Isn't that great? Do we live in a world of compassion right now? No. We live in a world of like, you know, rat race. and see like the external aspect of people and I see what they're showing mm-hmm. versus what's going on internally. Because I had to do that. And we don't know a lot of times unless the Lord shows us why people do things. And it's okay. Sometimes we like, I don't know why they just did that. Lord, whatever their need is, whatever, whatever. And we can do that. We can pray that for ourselves too. And so understanding the compassion of Christ and that he's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion and he heals them. He's moved with compassion. Compassion is not just, hey, self-pity. You know, nobody wants pity. Nobody wants that. Pity doesn't help. People want compassion, which in the English really is a good translation from the original compassion, and it's a Latin root, which is like to to feel through, to suffer with. And you know what compassion means? It means, it means um, the willingness to suffer with a person, including yourself. Don't worry if you don't have compassion, because we don't have compassion naturally. Just focus on the compassion of Christ. And here's a little t- here's a little Here's a little tip. I'm the professional Christian in the room here. Here's a little tip. I don't mean it that way. But like, if you don't have patience or if you're lacking something that, that the Bible talks about as a virtue, don't look for it inside of yourself. Look at, it. look at Christ who has that. If you don't have patience, look at the patience of Christ in the Bible. If you don't have compassion, look at the compassion of Christ. If you don't have conviction about something, look at Christ's convictions about why he hated uh, sin. And so compassion is the core of Christ. And you know something, when we, when we say, when we think about compassion and showing ourselves compassion, you know what the first step of showing yourself compassion is? The first step is, is changing the internal dialogue. 
just allowing the voice of Christ to take over that internal voice. Um, my mom grew up with a alcoholic dad, and he was very he was just as long as I can remember my grandfather, he was drunk, and I, and his story later on, I found out that my grandfather was a good Baptist boy going to a Baptist church up in, North, in, in Troy, New York, uh, Rensselaer area, Troy, New York. Something happened in his life, and I don't really know exactly what happened, but he began to drink. And, um, and then he married my grandmother, who was a Danish immigrant from Denmark. And um, my mom, who was the oldest of the two, of two daughters, um, she grew up with an angry dad who was always, always out not always, but he, you know, unless they had no money and he wasn't drunk, but, uh, and that really, that really destroyed her soul. And, and she told me after she got saved and God delivered her from all of that, um, she said that I could still hear my dad's voice years after he was dead. Can you imagine that? Like, that's the voice that we have to replace in our head. I know this is kind of heavy this morning. We're not, we're never this heavy, but I just, I just want to say like, let's replace that voice with the voice of Christ, the voice of the shepherd. And how do we know the voice of the shepherd? It's right here. Just open your Bible, be in the Bible, be, read the gospels, read how Jesus talked to his disciples and read how Jesus talked to sinners. And in Luke 15, verse one, it says that the sinners all came out and they were glad, they listened to him gladly. These were bad people showing up, you know, like, Jesus had house church and like, you know, and he had all these people show up that nobody wanted in the neighborhood. Because <laughs> like, you know, they, 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 these people listened to Jesus because Jesus had a different word and the voice of Jesus was different. And so if we could hear the voice of Christ, that you are not the person that's no longer in your life, that what they're saying about you. That just learn how to identify it, number one, and then replace that voice, that narrative with um, who you are in Christ and what Christ says you are. And then how do we do that practically? And I want to wrap it up with this is, so it's first, what is shame? Number two, what are the cycles of shame? Number three, what is the compassion of Christ? And this is really the first step of getting out of our cycles of, of whatever we do. And remember, there's no condemnation in this process. There's no condemnation. And we, and I'm a pastor and I, I can say firsthand, this is the easiest thing to do is to put on someone a religious program so that you can feel about good about what you're doing and what you're giving them, and they can feel good about it. Because the flesh wants some type of penance, doesn't it? The flesh wants to pay. The, cr- the cross says the flesh can't pay. The flesh has got to die. So just there's, you can't pay for your sins. There's no way you can modify yourself. And the message of the church is so far off. And I'm not saying we're the only ones because we're not. There's awesome churches out there. But I'm just saying... The average church today is missing the message and they're not preaching the gospel and they're talking about the American gospel, which is either money, social status, or self-help. And these are the three gospels that we hear in a lot of churches today. And that's not the gospel Christ preached. And so what is what's so we learn how to replace that voice, but by ourselves it's impossible. It's impossible. And this is where I think a lot of us are struggling where we can't meet together, you know, until we started meeting in May, but um, is get connected with the body. Get connected with the body of Christ because the body of Christ is where the secrecy that's killing us is going to... You don't have to... We don't tell everybody our sins. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you're in the midst of other people that are also walking with God, that are living in discernment, that are not, you know, that are not reading your mind or, 
even interested in talking about your sin or your darkness, but just want to build you up in who you are in Christ. That is what we need. We are, in, we are built. Like Genesis chapter 2 really tells us a story about how man was connected, how man was created for connectivity. We were, we were created for connection. And guess what? Before the Internet, we were not connected socially. And so people started looking for the, a way to connect virtually, to have experiences that they could not have because they did not have they, 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 they did not want to deal with the shame afterwards. And so there's now there's this interconnectivity in the world of dating apps and whatever, because people are looking for meaningful relationship, relationship where we can come together. And, and you know, we're not going to look at each other after the flesh. We're going to re, we're going to we're going to the church is a huge mirror where we are reflecting to each other who we are in Jesus Christ. And you're not going to hear this message anywhere else. You're not going to hear it at a support group. You're not going to hear it at a humanitarian effort somewhere or a psychology class. You're going to only hear this message in a church that knows how to reflect to people who they are in Christ. And, and Derek and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago, about our getting established in our identity and not letting our, our, our broken identity just get us in these cycles that we just never get out. So we were hardwired biologically for deep connection, and we can only experience that at the, in the body of Christ. Shared this a while ago, but it's that verse, and again I forget the, the the address of it. But that's that verse that says that he takes the lonely, the solitary, and he puts them in the family. Anybody remember that as Psalm? Yeah, he takes the solitary, he takes the lonely, and he puts them in a family. You know what was the best thing that happened to me was that I got to be able to come into a body of Christ where people saw me different than everybody else saw me. And they didn't care about record or my history or whatever. They saw me as like, <laughs> my pastor told me, pastor who pastored me the first first few years until I became, when I went into Bible college, he said, you've got a calling in your life. We need to hear that, don't we? You've got a call in your life. God's got a plan for you, right? We need that. We need to derive our significance and our identity from the call of God and not from something that we're doing in the church or volunteering for this or doing that. Does this make sense? Does this... Like, derive our identity, not from the shameful things that we do, and not from... And you know something, somebody who says to you, shame, shame, shame on you, is that's not it. That does not help anybody. I think Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, go to one another, being aware that you are so able to do the exact same thing. Approach them in the fear of the Lord and say, you know what? I just want to encourage you. This is not you. Uh, step out of it and... Um, but we don't want to do that because we want to live in our shame cave. We want to live because we feel that, that we're going to be rejected. And so the first thing we really need to understand is the compassion of Christ. And that produces a safe zone around us. And when you're around people, the body of Christ is reflecting to you compassion. That's so healing. And, and you know what? So much healing can happen without sitting down and having this knock, knock, you know, just duking it out in, in counseling. Sometimes we need counseling, but sometimes we can just be healed by just sessions like, like times like this, just being together, pouring our hearts out, praying with one another, and uh, bearing each other's burdens. So that's just a few words about shame. God doesn't want us to live in shame. It's not who we are. It's the false self. We are new creation in Christ. And uh, even if you know stuff about people, just remember, like, just remember to not know each other after the flesh, right? Second Corinthians 5, verse 16 says, Know no man 
And this is your homework, okay? If I could give homework, can I do that? This is your homework. Read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. And it's, a, it's right before that classic verse that we always quote. Every man, we're all new in Christ. Old things are passed away. But the verse before that says, don't know any man after the flesh. And that means if I know something about somebody or they fell flat on their face yesterday in front of me, do I know about it? Yeah, but I'm not living in the present cognizance of that's who they are. Right? Does that make yeah. sense? So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. So do we have any comments or maybe any questions or any thoughts about... 